from the boardroom to the shop floor. Good business runs on good governance. Join esteemed expert in governance, Dr. Nimrod Mbele, for the next hour as he takes us beyond governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele on 101.9 High FM. A very good evening to all and welcome to tonight's installment of Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod Mbele. Uh, once again, it is always a pleasure to be in your company as we share the space and time, uh, given the fact that we're gravitating towards the national elections. Uh, over the past two weeks or so, we have deliberately dedicated um, our show um, you know, uh, towards the elections. Uh, for we all know that what the national election means uh, for this country of ours. Um, I contend, amongst other issues, that the South African, you know, elections for 2019 will probably be a watershed moment for South Africa, um, given the kinds of, um, you know, unfortunate episode we have seen over the past uh, years or so. But most importantly, let me just take this opportunity just to reflect very briefly in terms of what I think uh, are some of the key milestones that we've achieved um, in this country over the, over the previous, uh, you know, uh, uh, administration. Firstly, education, for most people, um, you know, we now enjoy universal education. Um, you know, we now also enjoy uh, free um, education at the higher level of education system. We also have noticed that the president, uh, or at least the, the national insurance, um, you know, health insurance, uh, you know, system, it's now at its final stage and it's about to be presented to parliament um, for ratification. And, and what does it really mean? We all know that the national, you know, health insurance is, it's, it's a financing system that is designed to pull funds, uh, to provide access to quality, affordable personal health care services to ensure a universal, um, health coverage. Um, this is a milestone for anybody. I mean, anybody who understands economists, there are two fundamental issues that, uh, almost at the apex priority of any government, you know, the ANC or, or any government for that matter, it is education, it is health, it is housing. In South Africa, we're quite fortunate that there's been a significant stride in as far as those, um, you know, uh, strategic areas of focus for government is concerned. Uh, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, majority of people who were historically dis- dis- disenfranchised have now access to clean water, electricity, housing, education, and the, 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 the safetyness in the form of grants. I mean, we have close to about 17 million uh, South Africans who are beneficiaries of grants. Um, you know, at the face value, it is good, but beyond that, the, we need to begin to asking difficult questions around sustainability, uh, difficult questions around affordability, difficult questions around the economy that is not growing. I mean, for all what it's worth, we have seen this country not growing more than 2%, and our projection for 2019, it's similarly around, you know, 2% maximum if you like. You know, and these are some of the critical questions that any political uh, mandate, you know, any political party that will be coming through uh, beyond tomorrow would have to address these these kind of questions. But you know, today as I was you know driving to the studio, you know, you get to listen to people because we have sort of tried to make tonight's show dedicated to you know the last um, you know election runabout as as you as as, as you might call it. 
Um, the question for me, and, and I've, I've been picking up, you know, up and about, you know, some people asking that question, you know, will the, are the elections material in as far as the market is concerned? You like it or not, they ask that, there's that kind of question. The other question that I, I've picked up is that, uh, will my, you know, uh, will my vote count? You know, the other question that I've picked up, when will the cabinet be sworn in? The other question that I picked up is, why should I vote? Believe it or not. The other question that I've encountered or seen, um, is, 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 is what will happen if the NC loses? You know, and what will happen if the DA wins? You know, what will happen if the, e, the EFF wins? So these are a plethora of questions that are lingering in electorates' minds and which I think tonight will probably, you know, shed some light and say, what does it mean for the South African economy as well? And, you know, not forgetting that the reason why we vote fundamentally is to, is to transform the economy that is sluggish is to transform the economy that is barely creating sufficient jobs, is to transform the economy to a point where the NDP, as the only, well, Bible, so to speak, in as far as the public policy is concerned, or strategy of government, in that, let's aim to a point where we have at least, we grow the economy by 5%. The assumption is that if we grow the economy by 5%, we're likely to create sufficient jobs, Needed by, by, by the economy. Our unemployment rate is shocking. You know, our inequality is shocking. I mean, these are some of the statistics, uh, by now we all know. Uh, but be that as it may, let me, uh, move on swiftly and take, take this opportunity to, uh, thank Kathy for, you know, bracing the airwaves, Simon, uh, likewise, Sasha Star, and of course, Mandy. As always, I'm not flying solo. I have a table who is the producer of the show. Uh, his presence is always welcome. Uh, I tonight, as, as as a norm, I implore you to you know drop us an SMS and you know tell us your thoughts about you know the imminent elections. Your thoughts as you are bracing yourself for voting tomorrow morning. Uh, like some of us will be up at the crack of dawn to cast our votes. Our SMS line is standard is three four five one nine. My email address, is, of course, is nimrod at highdosio.za. Uh, tonight, as I've already indicated, tonight's show is dedicated to the election or electioneering at the backdrop of the issues that I've raised earlier on. Uh, as always, I'm not flying solo. I've got uh, Justice Ndaba and later on will be joined by Eric Stillerman, who is a regular feature of the show. Uh, on that note, let me take this opportunity to thank Mr. Ndaba for coming through. Justice, welcome and good evening. Good evening. Good, Doc. How are you? I'm always good, my brother. How are you? I'm great, great, great. You know? And earlier on, as a prelude to the conversation, I pointed out that, you know, you, you have questions such as, will the market or does the market care about the election? You know, the other question that I've picked up is, um, you know, uh, what is, you know, when are we likely to hear the cabinet? Perhaps maybe without going further into the, you know, uh, d- without drilling down further into some of the questions I've picked up, your sense on the market when you juxtapose that question with the market, does it matter? Very much so, very much so, Doc. If you if you read, um, I had about two or three interviews of um, uh, some gentlemen from Transactional Capital, and then uh, uh, so so basically, what the answer is to that is that all the relevant people are watching 
especially those that are market oriented because they are wanting to see what the outcome is of this <laughs> because it's in their interest. Remember the problem uh, in the last few years that has been common in the market has been certainty, certainty about policies, certainty about... So they're looking to see very much what the outcome is. So for them, um, I think they've predicted certain numbers have been predicted so far. Uh, you would find that if the results come kind of within the projected numbers, um, you know, you know, you know, Ipsos has, has published their ones now. Uh, Institute of Race Relations have uh, uh, published their ones now. And if you look at all of the, the published ones, there's, there are no surprises. Okay, so most of those, you, if you look at the four main parties, are packed in around the same uh, numbers. So the market would be looking at that parameter to say, okay, these predictions, most of them, say the ANC likely between 50 to 60 percent, for instance, that's the proje projection. Everyone is projecting the, 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 uh, the EFF to double their numbers. If you recall, five years ago, they came at about 6 percent. So the most probably every prediction so far seems to peg them between 10 and, and 12 percent. Uh, if they do really, really well, which is 100 percent, by the way, if they really, really do well, they'll go to 14 to 50 percent, 15 percent. Um, the, 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 the jury's out on the DA, uh, but you would know that they got about 22, 23% last time. Um, the projection at the moment is between 17 and 21%. But hold on, hold on to that, uh, you know, uh, your, the, the analysis in terms of the states, mm. uh, if you may justice. But, you know, one thing that I, I want us to carefully go through this very basic question. Okay. Um, and, and really get a sense around it because, um, I'm not sure what is the percentage of South Africans who are asking this question. Yeah. I'll tell you why, because I want us to move, uh, move from a premise of, 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 of the extent to which South Africans understand the value of elections in relation to the market. <coughs> when you hear that kind of question, and by the way, these questions are not posed by ordinary folks in the mm. street, are mm. posed by some of the guys who have university degrees or who are at school. I have a fundamental, you know, challenge. You know, it says to me, our, our, you know, our electoral education system has not reached sufficient numbers of people, or our political education system has not reached enough sufficient enough people to create the high level of consciousness. Around the value of, of, of voting or the value of elections. Because ordinarily, if we have sufficient cohort and more than sufficient cohort of people would not hear, uh, people saying, you know, will the market, you know, uh, mm. change? Does my vote matter? Yeah. Look, they, they are about 53 million South Africans, right? Of that, uh, the number, the, the, the official number of registered voters is 26 million, 26 million, uh, 700,000 odd, uh, which, which is roughly around what, around 50%, 52%. The last statistic that I saw, 
of this 26, not of the 26, but it means that there are about 9 million people that are eligible to register that did not register. That's a big number. Okay? Which goes back to your question to say, if we have, so if we, if, if all of these 9 million people had registered, because they are now eligible, meaning they've turned 18 and above, uh, there are 9 million eligible voters. So it's 26 plus 9 million. So that would be uh, roughly about uh, uh, 35 million we should have of registered voters. Now, the worrying factor is that why are these 9 million people not registering, right? Which then means that we really need these 26 million people that are registered to really go out and vote. It's not... It's not correct for any citizen to say, I will vote with my feet and not go to vote, because it's, it is beyond responsibility. It's an obligation for every South African citizen to go out and vote, because um, whether or not you decide to stand and watch, you are going to be impacted by your... Uh, the decision not to vote, yeah, the decision not to vote is still a decision. <laughs> And it's going to impact on you for the f basis, the fact that you did not vote, you're going to be affected by those who have voted. And unfortunately, because you didn't vote, those that have voted will decide for you what you, you're going to have. So these numbers are worrying in the sense that there is not sufficient numbers of people that um, I hope that on the voter turnout, we have numbers that are, would be, for instance, close to 75 to 80 percent of this 26 million. If we have that turnout, it would be a good turnout. The problem for me tomorrow would be if we look at the voter turnout. So my worry, my main worry is voter turnout. If we if we do anything less than 70% of turnout, we have a problem. We will have a problem. Look, I couldn't agree with you more. I was quite deliberate by raising this question mm. purely because um, I mean, obviously, states, states have been thrown around, plus or minus 9 million people who are eligible to vote. Um, they have haven't not, registered. have not registered. Mm. And, and I mean, Home Affairs, I mean, we've heard ministers um, saying Home Affairs offices will be open and uh, in perpetuity for those, you know, eligible voters to cast their votes or by way of securing temporary IDs uh, and so on and so forth. I mean, to a point where the waiver cost... Mm. Of those that might say, look, I don't have money, you know, to vote, and and fundamentally, it goes to show how some of you know South Africans, and also and I will also blame the institution and the political parties, as it were, that um, we we have failed to create that 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 cohort of conscious, you know, the level of consciousness in terms of what the value of um, um, you know ele election is all about. Forget about your despondent. Forget about your dissatisfaction. Forget about your disappointment. Mm. You have an opportunity to craft your own destiny mm. by way of voting a political party that you think will best advi um, ad and, and, uh, uh, advise your, your political ambition so it is where. So the fact that we're not doing that, it goes to show that South Africans have not really internalized mm. the value of election. And the extent to which, and also the bigger question is, most people obviously disappointed, 
and by way of disappointment, uh, they rather vote with their, they rather vote with their, with their feet, you know, and which also does not really address the problem. Mm. But anyway, mm. but that's, 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 mm. that's the, the scenario. I mean, uh, I was quite deliberate because mm. I've picked up that a substantial number of people. Mm. I mean, nine million people. Nine million is a lot. No, yeah. it's a lot of people. We can't I mean, afford voter apathy. You never. know, and that, 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 that's equivalent to a, a, a sizable portion, mm. you know, in cabinet, uh, in terms of representation. But anyway, that's, that's, that's the bigger picture. And I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that, um, you know, political institutions out there are beginning to see the bigger picture and their drive will have to mobilize people mm. irrespective of their political inclination. Yeah. In essence, I think we, we, um, the campaigns for, to address your concern should not be just at the end, uh, closer to five years, because we vote every five years, should be throughout the period. Because if you look at the age groups of these 27, 26 million people, the lowest numbers are between age group 18 and 19 um, is the lowest. Then age group 20 to 29 is the second lowest. The highest number is 30 to 39 people. So meaning that if we target the the the, the age group 18 to 19 and 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 make them understand the 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 importance and then go to the next level the 20 to 29 group. Um so meaning that we can really target the, uh, those people where are they? Tvets uh, probably that's why you see the, the, the strategy of the EFF, uh, in the last four years was to target TVET colleges because they understood that the bulk of these nine million people, where do they sit? In TVET colleges, in, in, in universities and so on. And in fact, if you look at their strategy, that's where they recruited the most. But we need to get those that are not in universities also to come. Uh, but, okay, those are people that have not registered, right? The 9 million. My problem at the moment is, even the 26 mi- million that are registered, please, people must just go and, 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 and because any lower number, as I said, that is less than 70% of turnout of the 26 million is going to make it very problematic for, for the country. One of the biggest issue, um, and obviously, again, building on this, this nine million you know, voters that are eligible who are very much likely, unlikely to vote for whatever reason. Obviously, voter party being amongst them. I, I, I hope, um, the numbers will change tomorrow, you know, uh, as more and more people listen to this kind of show, um, as, as, as it is quite important. But the fundamental question for me is, um, you know, are we doing enough? As, as a community, are we doing enough to really sensitize people of the value of the elections, uh, and, and, and in, particularly in relation to the economy that is not growing? Because the elections ultimately is all about the economy. You know, whoever you put on, whoever you put as a government is going to manage the macroeconomic policy of this country. Uh, whether you want to reform or you want to, the status quo remain. Bottom line is that you have that obligation, you have that, uh, a, an opportunity to cast your vote to make a difference. But clearly, uh, we're not really moving because hence, hence I keep on hovering of these nine million, uh, uh, eligible voters who, who, who are neither here nor there. But, uh, I, I've noticed that, uh, in all faces around, 
Eric Stellerman. Good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening. Hi, how are you? Nimrod, House of Justice, how are you? Thank you, thank you very much. Look, the issue at hand, before you came through, um, it is the uh, about 9 million eligible voters that... um, that 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 uh, you know have Haven't not registered. expressed, have not re- registered, and and that is a big number by any stretch of stretch mm-hmm. of imagination. Mm-hmm. And what are the implications for? Um, because we we anticipate a scenario where the AC is likely to drop numbers. Um, you know, the EFF might just you know gain some, the DA might just gain some. So it, it it's a it's a story of hypotheses. Nobody really knows uh, what's going to really happen, but th- this nine million, you know, eligible voters would have made a huge difference in terms of, you know, uh, changing the scale. But be that as it may, the question that I want to put through to you, um, Eric, if you may, is the fact that when you look at the nine provinces, the big, the thrust of the economy lies in Gauteng. You know, mm-hmm. um, everybody wants, you know, Gauteng. And ANC wants Houting, DA wants Houting, EFA wants, everybody wants Houting. Uh, whoever matters, if wins Houting, you know, given the fact that Houting accounts to more, almost like 35% of the uh, country's GDP. So that's where the real uh, hunger is, that's where the real passion is, that's where the real, you know, um, um, strategy is all about. Uh, based on that, who do you think has done a greater job in terms of mobilizing sufficient electorate for Houting? Other uh, other provinces are important, but not as important as Gauteng, given the, its its uh, contribution to the GDP. Uh, thanks, uh, Nimrod. <laughs> I, I, I just want to give a quick view. I was reading the Business Day editorial today, talking about you know that we should celebrate the maturity of our democracy. That here we are, uh, we have a choice. It's not a one-party state. Uh, there are a number of options. Um, and uh, you can influence the state of the country and, and the future of the country tomorrow, and, and, you know, it's obviously important to get out there and vote. Um, I'm, not, I'm really not on top of the statistics on, in Gauteng particularly. I heard somebody of influence uh, telling me about two months ago that it could be a three-way split. And uh, the way I look at the whole election, I think what is probable... Whichever way the percentages pan out is that we're entering into an, a coalition era, um, like we've seen to a certain extent in the metros, and that could very well repeat itself in, in Gauteng and even nationally. And when I say uh, coalitions, I'm saying, you know, assuming the ANC even gets mid-50s, 55% or maybe 60 in order to govern and in order for Cyril Ramaphosa's reform agenda to be implemented so that governance can be improved, as we've been speaking about for the last two years, they're going to have to join together with like-minded players. And here's, thank you, here's where the opposition have a huge role to play along with the media and the rule of law and the court system which have played a role in bringing us to this point where we have a chance to re-establish a certain amount of good governance in this government. The way I look at it, and I've said this before, it's actually a war on between good and evil and um, the, the, the people who side with the good agenda, who want to establish good governance and, and don't have a private agenda in mind, 
um, like-minded people from different parties will vote together and support each other, whatever the exact percentages turn out. So, I, I, I would would not be surprised if there would be, you know, Gauteng would be something of a coalition uh, government, and the, I think all the the, prov- uh, the 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 crowds at I think it was yesterday's rallies. Uh, showed that, you know, all the parties, the three major parties managed to pack them in and, you know, they're credible options. One thing that I've picked up, and maybe Justice uh, will will chip in here, uh, I read a few articles around the implications of coalition from an investor confidence point of view. Given the fact that the new administration, one of the biggest agenda for new administration is going to be the reform, you know, economic reform. Correct. And if you're going to reform um, without an absolute majority, which means you're going to likely to lean on smaller parties right. to support you. Yes. And we're just making an assumption that if you're going to reform um, ideologically and policy-wise, smaller parties are going to be aligned. And there lies a big danger, that big assumption, which which is likely to be flawed. We've seen in metros mm-hmm. um, that, that, that that smaller parties often tend to throw the muscles their muscles by trying to you know destabilize because for any reform agenda we need stability mm-hmm. okay sure. we you sure. know we need we need predictability right yeah. are we not likely to be in a more precarious environment given the fact that there wouldn't be an outright majority who would be given a mandate to reform that's well, my that's my million dollar I'll question. I'll give you my quick uh, answer to that. I think that you know the choices are, let's say, for the ANC to to enter into an alliance or coalition with the DA, and similar like-minded parties, and or the EFF, and the EFF you know clearly would be disruptive to that stabilisation agenda, and there would potentially be a lot of politicking like we've seen potentially well in, in, in Joburg although Joburg has actually been governed to a certain extent according to a policy of, of the DA uh, and, 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 and the EFF have come along for the ride even though they might have disrupted from time to time so that's not out of the question I, I, I think that within the ANC NEC on the 10th uh, of, of May the, discuss, the the battle will be as to who the ANC is going to partner with. And and I think there, I would guess that, that Cyril and Cyril's faction would favor the DA and like-minded smaller parties, whereas potentially Asma Khashula and, and that faction might favor the EFF. So, uh, you know, that's why I say the battle goes on and it's not going to be over on the 10th of May. It'll go on for a while, for, for quite a long time to come until we see an outcome for this country, hopefully positive. Justice. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, uh, last week I did mention that the, um, the coalitions as we have, um, thought about them. We don't have, from my point of view, the necessary maturity to run uh, coalitions effectively in this country. And we've seen it. I mean, the mar- the convenient marriages of DA and e- EFF have been very patchy. And, and uh, I mean, in one metro, they, they throw the toys out in Nelson Mandela and then they... In, and remember, the, the strategic 
positioning and posture of the EFF <laughs> was to say, we will give you the votes, but we won't come into cabinet with you at the metros so that we can, we retain the independence to criticize you. So, which, which was a very good strategy because they were looking, uh, to attract voters by, by being disruptive, as he said. But basically, uh, that coalition didn't work because, uh, look, it has remained firm in, in, in Tswane and in, in, in Joburg. Um, but thorny issues, the majority of it, um, now, post May 8, uh, if you look at the statements of the DA and the EFF at the moment, they've already pronounced on the fact that they would not work with the ANC. Already, you know, so, They've issued those statements. So, 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 even though in politics you can't really uh, 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 rule the out any, especially because the EFF is basically almost a far left of the ANC, which means that they essentially they can work together if they want to. But the fact of the matter is that if they pronounce that they wouldn't want to work with the ANC, the ANC would have to look at smaller parties, smaller parties for. Uh, Pitching up the numbers. We know that in the past they've worked with the NFP, they've worked with the AIC, uh, we've got now the new ATM and so on. So they, they will be looking at those. And as uh, my information at this point is that there's a lot of lobbying happening between, because they're looking at those only to patch up certain numbers. So you, we might not even see the coalition of the big three, but coalitions that involves uh, many other smaller parties with the ANC and then the the, the D and them would, would would probably do another coalition probably but uh, at this point it, it, it <laughs> it's a painful journey that we foresee but on the market point of view i think you hit the nail on the head that predictability is going to be the choice of markets uh, because certain policies certain uh, approaches that the for instance, the ANC has pronounced on, which require a firm hand to implement. Now, without the majority, that they, if they don't get that majority, it's going to be very difficult to, to implement. Exactly, my point. Maybe uh, let's let's take this issue after the break. Um, but perhaps maybe an issue to ponder about is the fact that the rating agencies, as it were, have made a pronouncement of two of the big three. Um, have have really relegated us to junk status. Right. It is only Moody's that has mm-hmm. said, "Look, let's play wait and see game," on the very basis that let's see the outcome of the election mm-hmm. on the basis of what Jesse has pointed out. In that, should there be a majority, the likelihood of a reform agenda is likely to be taken through. But in absence of an absolute majority, there are going to be hiccups. And that will impact on the reform agenda, as it were. And and here now lies a, a quagmire, <laughs> given the fact that we're not raising sufficient. We're running a, a budget deficit. If you're running a budget deficit, you have no choice but to get your funding elsewhere from the foreign, from the 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 the, the, the rating agencies. Mm-hmm. On that note, let's take a break. We'll come back in a second. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Dembele on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back. It is now almost uh, 15 to 7. Time flies when you're having fun. I'm joined in studio by uh, Eric Stillerman and, of course, Justice Indaba. We're deliberating on the possible outcomes of the elections. As we all know that we're gravitating towards the uh, election uh, tomorrow where everybody will go out, every single political party, 
is putting our best foot forward in terms of what what uh, uh, you know uh, you know uh, you know uh, um, uh, rather uh, you know trying to win the you know, electorate uh, in in the long winded way trying to win the electorate, but fundamentally, what is missing, based on what you've spoken about, is the extent to which. Uh, I suppose on a downside, in an event that bigger parties do not secure substantial votes, ANC as well as DA, that will have a negative impact or implications on the side of their own agenda. For an example, let me qualify my, 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 my point. My, I want to qualify my point by saying when, when they con- I mean, the, the rating agencies have made it very clear. Uh, two of the three, you know, have given us um, and uh, they've, they've downgraded, as except the Moody's. They are currently waiting for the, you know, the outcome of the elections on a basis that should whoever win or do not win, they will make pronouncement because on one of the issues, political certainty or policy certainty, you know. So the question is, um, how do you get certainty in a contest of coalition? That's okay. the million-dollar question. Let, let me give you a view, if I may, Justice. Um, a lot of the business media have been saying that uh, uh, 60% plus for the ANC will be a confidence booster and a market booster. And a lot of leading business people have aligned themselves, maybe for the first time, to uh, with people to support the ANC. As to give your vote to the ANC, and that will give policy certainty and it will give the kind of confidence boost to Cyril Ramaphosa that he'll implement his reform agenda. There's an equally a view that says that that kind of vote for the ANC is a endorsement of a party that is a party that has gone wrong and that hasn't come right yet, and that, in fact, the outcome can potentially be complacency and allowing the opposite faction within the ANC and the NEC to be emboldened as well. No one's to say which way a good vote for the ANC is going to pan out in terms of how the reform and, and, and economic development agenda is implemented within the ANC and driven from the ANC. I see it differently. I think that in the likelihood that the ANC is not going to get 66% to go and pass whatever amendment it wants to the Constitution, it's going to need voting alliances, whether they're formal coalitions or informal uh, voting alliances for an agenda that the president is driving, and you mentioned I was listening on the way here, to the NDP and all the initiatives that we need to do to improve education, to improve health care, to improve the economy. So there you've got a potential, <clears throat> even if ANC gets 55%. If it now, the, the game is still on. And even if the market takes a dip on Friday, temporarily, markets are very volatile and fragile. And they, they can very easily be, you know, turned around. I mean, we've been seeing incredibly volatile markets the last couple of weeks and months. So to my mind, I think that kind of a scenario, I, I personally would be, would feel quite positive about that kind of scenario. I wouldn't feel that as a doomsday scenario. The reason being, which which is the theme of this program, beyond governance and improving governance in this country, whoever doesn't have a big majority is more 
accountable, accountable to smaller parties, accountable to governance processes. And the EFF will have a lot of, lot to say within parliament and will be trying to shoot down bad proposals and bad governance. And so will the DA and so will the ACDP and the IFP and all the other players. So I think we're in for a very exciting and vibrant era in the next, you know, five years, whichever way it pans out. Look, I couldn't agree with you, Eric. On the upside, I mean, yeah. the, we do need a coalition in a sense that the, Obviously, the majority party is no longer comfortable, yeah. which has breeded the complacency that we've seen to date. And, and those of you, you know, in some quarters, there's a positive correlation. The kind of mess we've seen was a result of comfort. Yeah, exactly. You know, now sure. they're no longer comfortable as they used to be comfortable, mm-hmm. which means now merit, meritocracy. Right, absolutely. In, will now take precedent Correct. over, you know, patronage. Delivery. You delivery know, um, results, absolutely. competency. Yeah. So, so those are sure. come on. Those are some of the managerial ethos that we're likely to see moving forward. Yep. But personally, let me a, a, a take a different, you know, stance mm-hmm. um, within the public space, as it were. Mm-hmm. We've noted that I mean, you know, the public um, sector budget accounts for almost thirty-five percent of right. the GDP. Right. And 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 I've not seen or heard. I could be wrong. Uh, political parties making pronouncement for around the rationalization of provinces, mm. for an example, because you've got nine provinces with nine legislators mm. and so on and so forth. That begins to eat into the 35% of the salary bill that we're seeing mm-hmm. in the public sector. Sure. Surely, surely, if we're, to, if we're serious about rationalization, if we're serious about uh, you know putting people first, that's one thing that we need to be more serious about in that let's rationalize provinces because truth be told, thirty five percent of the GDP going to salaries is a big number. No, I, I think the, the numbers are slightly different. Sorry to, to give you a slightly different view. I think your first number, 35% of GDP, is what our budget is. I think that's pretty accurate. And it was always under, under Trevor Manuel, the target to bring that down below 30%, and he got it to that point. The most worrying factor on the budget is not the fact that there's a deficit. There's always a deficit. The deficit is over the benchmark 3%. It's about 4 or 5%. And the biggest change in the last 10 years has been where our debt to GDP ratio has gone up from 30% where Trevor brought it down to over 60%. It's about 61, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the trend that you don't want. As far as the salaries go, the salary, the payroll in government is about 60% of the total budget. So... The, the impact of the provinces and rationalization on the provinces, I'm not so sure about that because, in essence, if you look at all the prov- provincial budgets, their main spend is on education, health care, and social welfare. So even if you say you combine Northern Cape and Western Cape, you might save on the officials and their legislature, but you're not going to save on the education budget, the health budget, and the welfare budget. Of those provinces, that's what the provinces manage. They have to have, they have to spend. You know that that they've got people there. They need to bring them into the picture. No, but but here's a dimension that we we missing the point. Yeah. Um, whether especially in education and of course in health. Sure. It is not. A, it is about efficiency. Yes. You know, the course. extension to which you're able to stretch the rent. Yes. Um, for for quality. You yeah. Know? 
and, and, and that's, that's the biggest something <coughs> that we have missed in education as mm-hmm. well as in health. For sure. Uh, there are a lot of inefficiencies. So the, the reason for my, you know, um, uh, for my quest to assess the extent to which political parties are wary of the, the, the financial burden, mm. you know, uh, imposed by, you know, Look, uh, this, this huge administration, you know, when it, for an example, I mean, ministers and deputy ministers. Mm. Yeah, so those I, are some I, of the... I, I, I think the president and the, and the minister of finance have made their views very clear in the state of the nation and the budget. It's just a question if they've got the power and the mandate to go and implement yeah, um, I think the 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 sauna of of last year um, uh, of this year actually in February has has uh, pronouncements on restructuring, um, and in there already in 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 the in the sauna there's commitment from the president, meaning that beyond the election that's going to be implemented, rationalizing departments. So they. We know that already the DPSA has started that process of, of, of rationalization so that they recommend. In other words, what they do at the moment, they're busy with the studies of fit for purpose and all of that, which shows you that there's going to be a lot of integration, uh, fit for purpose between departments. The intention there is to, 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 to reduce duplication in order that at least from the administrative point of view, you, 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 because you know that we've grown from so many departments to by, 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 by huge percentages. The intention is to arrest that process and, and reduce at least the administrative burden. So that process has started. There's also now in the, which also came from the SONA, which was to say, look, um, let's look at chapter nine institutions. And ensure that those chapter nine institutions that were, uh, deliberately interfered with and, 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 and delibitated, we restore confidence into that. Mm-hmm. So what has happened in that is that the, all the commissions that you see, uh, if you look at them, about four of them now already the president has implemented the recommendations of those, poly, of those commissions, which means that and and many of them have started even em, uh, uh, employing professionals. If you look at the NPA already, with uh, Shamila Botoy having started, she has already em, uh, employed about six other uh, deputies of hers, uh, which are competent persons. So you, the intention is that once you have independent institutions that are going to be empowered to manage effectively without fear or favor, then you you would have less and less interference from uh, the top office, right? So that you bring back for confidence in the system. The other portion was the SOCs. So the SOCs, we know that we, we have over 200 and so uh, SOCs. However, we have the usual suspects. And the usual suspects uh, have uh, are causing a burden on the state because they continuously go back to ask for more money. Now the the the, the sona promised, and we've seen it happening now, the um, to rationalise SOEs and SOCs uh, by ensuring one 
you, you, you tighten governance. So new boards have been appointed at these SOCs. So, so those are the things that were signed off with rating agencies. So rating agencies, that's why Moody was able to say, look, we can see you've got the, fund, the basic fundamentals in place. As a result of that, we just want to monitor you as to how do you implement those, you see, before we finally pronounce. So mm. the reason that they, uh, they, they published a cautionary statement was be- because there was already 20 to 30% of implementation of the compact. Okay. Nimrod, I think we're coming to a close here. I just wanted to give a view on, you know, how people might think that people, I think, are thinking carefully about whether to vote and who to vote for. And after quite a lot of thinking about it, I've come to the conclusion that every vote will count this time Mm. um, and that the way to vote is who you believe is the most competent to implement um, the... Uh, the the programs that 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 are for the good of the country, I think a lot of people might be looking at their own personal interests. Uh, it's natural, uh, but, uh, it's only natural to vote one's interests rather than one's ideals and and one's beliefs, whichever way it is. I also would mention that it's possible to split your vote between the province and national <laughs> and I think a lot of people might be doing that in Gauteng and, and in uh, Western Cape and maybe KZN so I think it's going to be an either way uh, you know I, I have been accused of being an eternal optimist but I, I, I see a very robust uh, uh, outcome here even if you know the ANC doesn't get its desired 60% I think that actually turns out to be a good thing because they'll be working with like-minded people if you look at the Zonda Commission for example which is a multi-party forum was it an efficient, successful has it been a successful process in your view Nimrod? Exceptionally successful. Okay, and that's the kind of spirit that I think we're in for going forward, everyone is much more accountable, more transparency more of a democracy well, Justice, as we're wrapping up, uh, your final word on um, where we are as a country, you know, um, are we now, you know, optimistic or you cautiously optimistic in view of the fact that some of the programs that um, are, have been initiated, there's more, you know, we gravitate towards the solution as opposed to, 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 to more problems. Yeah, for me, uh, 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 the one point that concerns me and that I hope uh, if I say we are successful, we would be successful when um, between 75% to 80% of the 26 million registered voters actually come and vote. So uh, for me, that will be success. Uh, lack of success would be if uh, 60% or less actually end up voting. So for me, success would be 75% to 80% turnout. And then also to remind uh, voters that um, voting really uh, for every citizen is an obligation. It's not really just a responsibility. It's an obligation because um, we are a young democracy, 25 years. This generation of, of that is living now always owes it to the next generation and the next and the before... Previous. Before we become complacent about the, because this democracy was won 
with blood, with uh, tears, and you know, a lot of 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 sacrifice. So we ne- we must never forget that it's too early in our lifetime to to begin to become complacent and decide pathetic, yeah. that we are pathetic. Absolutely. We, unfortunately, we are not to live it there. We don't have much time. Uh, Eric, there's always a pleasure to have you around. Just this time, but thank you very much for your contribution. As we're wrapping up, I also like to echo the sentiment of my colleagues in studio that, uh, you know, voting is not a privilege. It's an absolute obligation. We all must go out there and cast our vote and express our desire to have a party that is competent. A party that is accountable to the constituencies, a party that is progressive. You know, irrespective of how you define those issues, bottom line is that go out there, cast your votes, you know, the, you know, the future of this country is in your hands. It is what you do. On that note, until we meet again, hopefully by the time we come back next week we'll have a new cabinet, <laughs> a new dispensation, and, uh, yeah, Tibos. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. Great stuff. Until we meet again, have a good one.